the Salinas Valley is in Northern California. The Salinas Valley is in Northern California. It is a long, narrow swale between two ranges of mountains, and the Salinas River winds and twists up the center until it falls at last into Monterey Bay. This first line of East of Eden by John Steinbeck, and if you've read much John Steinbeck, as soon as you see that word Salinas, you know it's him. That dude lived there, and he wrote a lot about it. Uh, he wrote, like, a hell of a lot in his lifetime. Um, everything from the Knights of the Round Table with King Arthur, which I just read, which is like an updating, updated version, translated kind of from uh, a guy who translated it from the French in, like, the 17-somethings or whatever. But he also wrote one called The Pearl, which is about... I think it's Pacific Islanders, like a fisherman who finds a pearl while diving. Um, and he also wrote Grapes of Wrath, which is about the Jode family traveling from Oklahoma in the Dust Bowl to California in their jalopy. Uh, and so he's written about America, but he's written about, and he's written about Salinas in California a lot. And this one's like a sprawl. So he wrote it when he was pretty old and he like, it was kind of his lifetime ambition. And it's this like sprawling, epic, sort of semi-biographical account of these families, one of whom seemingly is Steinbeck's grandparents. But it's like, the Trasks and the Hamiltons, and it follows them through 50 years between the American Civil War and World War I, and it's this, like, twisting, slow current river as it, like, follows them through the changing country and the changing decade and the or century with the new technology and industrialized warfare and stuff like that. There's the first car is in there and there's a section about that and planes and freezing things and the ability for to make like refrigeration and stuff like that and how these people, real people, deal with it in their own lives. But it's also about the the changes that occur in the the personal dramas of the families where people get married and break up and fight and lose their sisters and brothers and mothers. And, and then inside these people, we go inside their heads and we see what it's like for them to grow old and change in individually. And uh, unlike Grapes of Wrath, for example, where it's about a journey across country with California as the goal, and it's like, we know where we're going, and are they going to make it? It's less directional in East of Eden. It's like a, can a, a portrait of a country, of a family, of a person, many people. And it 
it exhibits John Steinbeck's craft, mastery of the craft of writing to an insane degree. His descriptions are like unreal. <laughs> they, I'm lost for words here trying to describe his metaphors and his similes and stuff like that. Like, I don't normally get too excited about them, but they're so unique and unexpectedly unexpected and unusual, but they work so perfectly. There was one, it was like the shadows of the streetlights ran across the road like a, a batsman stealing second base or something like that. It was about shadows being described like a baseball player stealing a base or something. It's like, what the fuck? But it worked. And he just like, just goes for it, but it works. And it makes, <clears throat> it makes me happy. <laughs> um, and so there's these stories and there's murder and brothels and alcoholics and abusive families and death and like, it's not an action story, but there's a lot that goes on in there. It's not boring. But then it's the depth of character. It's like psychoanalysis or, I mean, Steinbeck's grasp of human nature, his understanding of human nature is unbelievable. He like, it creates these people who you just are real. Like, they could walk into the room right now and I'd be like, oh, it's Adam Trask. Like, how are you doing? I know you. Like, a friend or somebody that I've spent a lot of... Family. They become your family and you know the, the parts of them that they wouldn't want to tell and they couldn't tell because they're not aware of it in the same way that this God... <sighs> He's so sick. Like, you gotta try it. You gotta read it. It's pretty big and it's long and it's hard in a way. It's because it's like, what's this about? Like, what goes on? Where are we going? We don't know. But if you're happy to go with him to experience the power and the skill and the depth, and the nuance of this guy. It's worth it, I think. Plus, I said he wasn't going anywhere, but that's wrong. The The emotional payoff in this book, the cathartic payload, I like to think of it like, like if you follow the the story correctly as a, as a storyteller and you deliver and you, sh you evoke fear and pity and sympathy and all the other emotions, then at this, that the, at the ending, when you deliver that through storytelling again, you deliver the payoff. <clears throat> and it's normally just a moment. <clears throat> and it floods through you, the, the dopamine, the endorphins, the neurochemicals, the cathartic release, the relief, the, the wave that flooded through me at the end of this book was like one of the biggest by far. 
And that does something. I believe. <laughs> um, I think there's a reason people, there's many reasons people use stories, take stories. Um, but one of them is this catharsis idea. It's a super interesting idea, actually. Uh, it's one of the most powerful things about storytelling, I think. And it's like, it, it's a thing. It's a real thing. It's like books are, I sort of see them as these power packs, like you pick up in a video game and your health goes up by so many percentage or your strength or whatever. <clears throat> like you pick up a book, you ingest it, you digest it, you it you take it in. And if it's a great book, like this one is, no question, set up in this way, then you are actually improve as a human being. Your empathy level goes up. Your understanding of the world goes up. Your sympathy for other human beings. Your awareness of yourself. All of these things are improved. Plus... That special thing happens when catharsis happens where you dump a bunch of your own emotional baggage. So it's this, this pivotal moment, this pivotal scene where something happens in the book that makes you go, ah, after all that tension was built up. And as you go, ah, you actually let go of your own shit, of, the, of your own baggage of your own tension and fears and traumas and all that stuff making you feel anxious or stressed or scared or whatever gets a little bit released and it like reading for me is one of the best and strongest ways to get that. Movies work. And I love movies. I, I've watched a movie a day. Like, they're awesome and we should all watch movies. But a book for me is it, because it's in your own head and you use your own emotions and mind's eye and imagination to create these scenes. Plus, it's an emotional paint, uh, like palette. Because you, in a, in a different way to movies, you can get inside their heads and you're actually omnipresent. Uh, to me, it's like the greatest way to achieve that catharsis is reading a book like this. It's powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. And this book is powerful. And it like kills me a little bit because... I love it so much and I'm so in awe of this, of Steinbeck's ability. And it fires me up because I write and I love reading stuff that's like amazing because I'm like, I need to go write, I need to write stuff like this. But as I'm reading it, I'm also like, dude, like, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to be able to write as good as this guy. Like, it's this painful, beautiful agony reading Steinbeck for me because he's, He's just too good. I guess that's it. He's too good. It's like, I always think of his books as almost chiseled out of the rock. 
they've been here. It's as if they've been here forever. I can't believe it was written in 1952. It seems like it was just here forever. Like this just a rot. Like it's like a mountain or a tree. It's just Steinbeck got there somehow. It's amazing. It's too good. And I wrote down a bunch of quotes in the in my little black quote book. Because, <clears throat> like I said, he's just, he just fired me up to, to, to write and reminded me why I read and reminded me of how good you can get. And yeah, listen to this. Our species is the only creative species and the only one creative instrument the individual mind and spirit of a man you know yeah so it's like he just taught like sometimes he's just talking explicitly about the world like war sometimes comes and war is like this and this i believe so this is him and this i believe that the free exploring mind of the individual human is the most valuable thing in the world and this i would fight for the freedom of the mind to take any direction it wishes undirected and this I must fight against any idea of religion or government which limits or destroys the individual. <laughs> Let's get some Ayn Rand shit up in here. But uh, yeah, I just try to find some more here. So like he's got these kind of powerful ideas of like, no story has power nor will it last unless we feel it in ourselves that it is true and true of us. It's like Hemingway, you know, the truth and man is the truth and life and it's kind of these grand statements and then he'll just hit you with like this description of what the trees look like in the morning along the river or something like that. It's like, I mean, I was crying. I cried a couple times in this book. It's uh, just because of the sort of... Um, the gentleness of his writing as well. Like he'll absolutely floor you talking about the truth of life. The meaning of life is this. So you're like trying to grapple with these huge sort of snake ideas, trying to take you down, trying to take your previous beliefs down. And you're like, wait, do I actually wait a second? But then he'll just like pull the rug out from under your feet with this like unbelievably realistic I'm right in the scene description of the prairies of grass or something after the rain you're just like ah I can't handle this man and then these characters doing absolutely brutal things to themselves to each other and themselves and they and you're like you want to forgive them and they won't forgive themselves and it's like if you're into reading if you're into sprawling family epics read this shit immediately. And even if you're not into either of those things, read this shit immediately. Everybody should read East of Eden just to see how, see what people could do with the words. Fantastic. So please check it out sometime. Something to think about, which I'm not too sure about what I think exactly, but like something to think about is like, to me, it seemed like a very 20th century book like psychology and depth psychology and the understanding of the human psyche and the ego and the, all that stuff was like being discovered in the late 1800s and early 1900s. 
so the conversation around that was huge and people's interest in like, what does it mean to be a human and stuff like that? Nietzsche, Freud, Jung, all these guys, World War II, it sort of was a big part of that, you know? Um, and this book seems somehow to me entwined in that. Maybe it's because I'm interested in that shit, but like, like Steinbeck and a lot of the 20th century greats, they're dealing with the nuance, trying to, um, trying to depict the nuances and subtleties of what it means to be a human being. And in some ways, I think that's what all art is doing. But in the novel in the 20th century, it seems like they were focused on doing it in a way where they, they paired a description of something that was going on outside with a description of something that was going on inside. And they just investigated what would happen to a very interesting character if that happened. And it doesn't have to be they got hit by a car or Superman came down or the planet broke in two. It can be like their brother who didn't talk to them for five years. But they really investigate and spend the time thinking, what would that do to somebody and how would they deal with it? And how, what would happen af because of the ways they chose poorly to deal with it, you know, through repression or denial or something like that. And then you see what happens. And it's like, I don't know. It just seems to me like that was, that was the pursuit of a lot of the 20th century writers, especially around the midway point. And I just wonder if, that's still the case? Have we moved on? In some ways, I think we have. I would love to write a book like this, but then I wonder, should you? Should we be trying to, like, we don't need another East of Eden. I'm going off on a tangent here, but interesting, interesting to think about. As It's so fucking good. I don't, I don't know if you can do any better. That's my point, I guess. I don't honestly know if you can do any better at writing this kind of novel than Steinbeck did. I'd love to read more. <laughs> I need to read more, obviously. But should we just keep trying to attempt to recreate, to copy, to get close to him? Or should we try something new? I'm not sure. It's a little bit different, but uh, it's one of the most thought-provoking mind-blowing, beautiful books I've ever read, and I would really recommend you read it. It's awesome. East of Eden by John Steinbeck. <laughs>